Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Ayoub. I'm the founder of the Localization Fireside Chat podcast and YouTube channel. This relatively young platform, we're only a few months old, has given me and my audience and our audience an incredible opportunity to listen to thought leaders from our localization industry or from tech industry and professionals as they tell their stories, they tell their intriguing uh, challenge, they talk about their stories, they talk about their challenges, and they talk about some of the trends that are going on in our industry. And we try to solve them together by sharing those ideas and sharing those conversations throughout the platform and people are engaging with those ideas. So um, the innovation in our industry right now is full, uh, full steam ahead. And it's an interesting, interesting time to be having more and more dialogues and conversations in our industry. So if you have not done so already, I encourage everybody and I invite you to connect with me, subscribe to our channel. I just noticed through the statistics on our YouTube channel, 95% of our viewers are not subscribed. So I'd love for you to subscribe to the channel as you um, see our content and hopefully you like what we have to offer here in terms of the conversations that we bring to the industry. So. Without further ado, I am uh, this morning joined by my good friend and old colleague of mine, Charles Campbell from TBO. And I appreciate you having you with me here, um, uh, Charles. Uh, welcome back to the channel. Uh, I, know, I know our first conversation on this podcast was uh, greatly uh, received by the audience. Uh, we had a lot of views and a lot of downloads on your, on your, on your first podcast. Hopefully this one will be as, as successful as the first one. And uh, the floor is yours. I mean, you're, you're well known in the industry. Everybody knows you. But for those who don't know you, for those newly joining our conversation here, would you mind introducing yourself briefly? Sure. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here again. Uh, well, where to begin? So my name is Charles Campbell. I'm originally from New Zealand, even though the accent seems to have been lost at some point along the road. I am, a, I am a Kiwi. Uh, I've been in the translation, localization, and interpreting industry uh, since 1997. And in fact, I did my first uh, translations in 1994. Uh, so I go back away. And uh, I live in Argentina, where the company that I founded and am president of, TBO, is headquartered. Uh, we also have offices in Peru and Vietnam, and uh, we have a team in Ukraine used to have an on-site office. So I do a lot of traveling. Uh, I have a growing family. I have uh, four children, including a, a one-month-old baby girl, Amanda. So times are very busy. You'll see me uh, sip away at a coffee during this fireside chat. Uh, essential part of the toolkit for, for new dads and moms. And so I, well, I love this industry. You know, I'm very passionate about my work. I, I, uh, I love, um, I love my work. I love the people I work with. And when I say the people I work with, I mean, I mean, customers, I mean, coworkers, uh, and I mean, external vendors, uh, the whole ecosystem is very interesting. Um, very transparent, uh, fun people, a lot of intriguing and engaging conversations. So, Certainly a pleasure to be in this industry and very optimistic for the future. Well, great. Uh, congratulations one more time on the new baby, on the new arrival, a new addition to your family. Uh, wish you all the best and all happiness and success for you and your, uh, and your lovely family. I, 
Um, and you know, nowadays, uh, uh, nowadays, I know the difficulty, especially maintaining a full active work life and a full active family life for young family is, 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 is difficult. And uh, I, I, I can appreciate your comments on the coffee needed for to keep to keep going. I'm assuming <laughs> new, new baby yeah. keeps you up at night. Yeah, that's part of the course, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, the the whole topic of maternity leave and paternity leave is something I've been thinking a lot about and have talked about uh, on my LinkedIn profile. And uh, my team has been very supportive of me, and my customers have been very supportive of me as well. And uh, it's it's uh, very funny. People will reach out to you and say something like, "Oh." Uh, I'm so happy to hear that you have a new baby and I don't want to interrupt you during this wonderful moment that you're connecting with your baby, but <laughs> could you make this urgent decision uh, yeah, or could I urgently suck you into a meeting or can I urgently have a, get a call or, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's part for the course when you're the owner of a, of a small business and uh I seem to be managing to do the balancing act for now. My wife is amazing. And baby Amanda is a very good little baby, too. We actually just got back from a doctor's visit. So there you go. Um, it's it's a juggling act, and um, but it, it's, it's definitely one worth doing. No, um, no, I completely understand that. Now, switching gears a little bit to uh, talk a little bit about business um, and uh, try to talk a little bit about the industry, we... Recently, um, I saw that you've uh, rebranded uh, to TBO, the company. Um, and can you walk us through the journey of, of the rebrand and why the first is why? And uh, what do you think now? Do you feel better about it? Uh, is it results are more positive for your business now that you rebranded re or hard to tell yet? It's very interesting because I always thought that our previous name was really good. Uh, translation back office. I uh, was a believer when I founded the company in the year 2005 that, that the name of the company in itself should uh, represent something, should mean something, rather than being an invented name like Google. Um, so translation back office kind of expressed its business model in this name, you know, in the same way that other companies do as well. They call themselves certified this or that or multilingual this or that. Translation back office. So I thought it was a great name. It was really long, really long, really long. And um, as it happens, some things at, at TBO happen in this way. People had been calling it TBO for years. Coworkers clients, external suppliers and vendors, people in the ecosystem. Everyone was calling it TBO except me. I was like this dinosaur who was insisting on calling it translation back office. Um, and then it was like I was the only one left standing who, say, who, who would say translation back office. So um, there was kind of a coup d'etat in which I was uh, told, hey, you know, let's modernize, let's simplify, let's have a crisper, fresher, younger message. And it was presented to me by my, my team, and I loved it. And I got on board, and they designed a logo. 
uh, we, uh, I mean, our symbol is a T, TBO, and the dot at the end. I think it's quite cool. And uh, it's so much easier to say. And it's what everyone's been saying all along. And I think the purpose of the original brand, Translation Back Office, was, had been served. I mean, everybody knew our, what our business model was, or almost everybody, and it was time since we received, achieved this brand recognition to simplify it down. So uh, in the same way, I guess, um, sorry to make a comparison like this, but Home Box Office became HBO, uh, very similar, TBO, HBO, slightly different size of companies, but it's the same concept. You no longer needed to say, home box office. But when it started, if you started out saying HBO or TBO, nobody would have understood what you meant. So uh, it's been great. And it was a collective effort. We had graphic designers. We had our, our marketing coordinator, uh, all sorts of different people putting in their input about designs, colors, ways to to express it. Um it's been it's been a wonderful experience. Also, it was a great way to generate conversations with customers, uh, co-workers, and external vendors, um, and re-engage with people. Something to talk about, something fresh. Um, and as I said, younger, fresher, more modern, crisper. It's really been very successful. And now we're in the process of rolling out. Uh, a sub-brand, which is TBO Talent. TBO Talent uh, addresses the critical shortage of talent in our industry, in the translation, interpreting, and localization industry. So we're in the process of rolling out TBO Talent now, uh, and that's very exciting too. So, um, yeah, I'd love to do a panel on rebranding, but... I'm not aware of that many cases of people who have rebranded recently. So if anybody has rebranded, reach out to me and we can maybe do a panel or talk about yeah. it. I think it would be great. Experiences of what went wrong, what could have been done better. But what I do know is that everybody who's rebranded is really happy about the rebrand. So that says something. That's right. So, you know, you bring a very good, uh, very good point, uh, Charles. The reason you rebrand is to either to move from one stage to another in your business in which you've articulated very well, like customers already know what the definition of, uh, you know, the TBO is, translation back office, already got used to it, they already understand it, and now time to give it a little bit better, uh, fresher way of looking at it. Um, so this is great. The, um, like in my case, for instance, I've done, what is it, two, maybe three rebrands. So let's talk about the recent one I just did. Uh, where we moved from a short name, Alia, for instance, that's the name of the uh, association in Canada. We'll talk about Hundus later. Um, uh, the association in Canada was called Alia, A-I-L-I-A, which for a lot of people, it did not mean much um, because mostly, uh, it, mostly the people who were involved in putting the name together, they knew what it meant. Association de l'Industrie de la Langue, etc. So it starts with the French and it mixes it with the English. So it's pretty hard to explain it to the normal, non knowledge of the industry person. So the new name that we've selected, we went the other way, what you did. We called it the Canadian Language Industry Association. Now we needed to be a little bit more descriptive. And then in parentheses, we called it CLIA. So people know now what a definition is and what the name is. And I'm sure we're going to run through this for a while and then I go back into the abbreviated version, but we got to go through that 
education stage, if you will, and that's what you've done early stages in, in, in the business to educate the market of who you are. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can hear you there. I mean, uh, also you have, in Europe, you have the European Language Industry Association, which some people call ELIA, and other people call it ELIA, and you, you were ELIA. So very similar, uh, coyote and coyote almost uh, separating there. But I, I think it's a great uh, change. It's very interesting to see these rebrands and you think it's going to take time and it's going to be in a pain in the neck, um, but you actually create a lot of value and you look at things again and you question things that have been unquestioned for too long. Uh, we, we feel certainly energized about it and it just, just seems to be an ongoing energizing at this point. And so when you do a rebrand and I don't know, there are, there are various steps when you do it through the rebrand. I'm just curious. You know, how did you get a domain? Was it available? Did you have to pay a lot oh. of money for it? The I mean, there's no three-letter domain available on the internet. Yeah, that, that was hard. That was hard. TBO.com is a travel agency from India. So we couldn't get that. We're TBO.group. We spent a lot of time going around in circles on that one. Um, but I think the .com era is dead and... And it's fine to have other domain names nowadays because uh, it's, all, it's all about, you know, clicking on a link on your phone or on your computer. It's not so much about writing things down like tbo.com, tbo.group. That's what we are. Uh, it was tricky. We thought about tbo.net, all sorts of different things. tbo.co, which is, can, can be confused with Columbia. Anyway, whatever. Uh, we're tbo.group. Um, that took quite a while. I mean, this whole process took a while and it was meant to take a while. We didn't have anyone breathing down our necks. It wasn't like a, a merger where you had to do it quickly or a company that was in trouble where they needed to rebrand or, or die. In our case, in our case, it was, a, it, was, it was a decision we made internally and we took our time. So we had plenty of time to research these options and we involved several different, different stakeholders internally. And that's what produced the result that has been produced. Um, it was definitely not one person's sole responsibility, and certainly not mine. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not a marketing guru. So, Charles, so Charles, you didn't have any outside help. You did that using internal resources. Yeah, we used a local marketing company, but we went to them with very strong ideas. If you go to a marketing company and you're just like wide open then you get an, a very extensive, expansive consulting process because they help you make up your mind first. Uh, but yeah, it, we, we made almost all of the decisions in-house. Uh, it was great. Still enjoying it. And the next thing When is, you talk uh, about rebranding, um, it makes me think of uh, Juntos. Uh, Juntos started out as the Association of Language Companies of Latin America and the Caribbean. And we could never remember if we were ALS-ALC or ALCLA-ALS. It was impossible to pronounce or to remember. I mean, I, you know, I was on the board and I couldn't even remember the name properly. So we had... And amazing restaurants. 
and we brainstormed about different names and we were looking at the Latin American Localization Industry Association, LALIA. I mean, God, we had all sorts of silly sounding names. I mean, and with hindsight, they sound silly. All these different names that we were bouncing around. Uh, but we knew we had to move. We, we, were, we were under the gun to move away from ALCALS or ASL. You know, it was just like, what is that? Because ASL is American Sign Language. And ALC is Association of Language Companies. So it was like, you know, what is this? So we definitely needed to make a move. And we finally came up with Juntos, because since Juntos represents translation, interpreting, and localization companies from Latin America and the Caribbean, it was wonderful to get a name, Juntos with a J, which means together, in Spanish and Portuguese simultaneously. You know, and, and no, Spanish and Portuguese are not exactly the same. They're totally different languages. But this particular word is spelt the same, although it's pronounced quite different. So in Spanish, it's juntos, and in Portuguese, it's juntos, but it still means together. That, I thought, was an even better rebranding than translation back office to TBO. And now no one can even remotely remember what we were called before we were called juntos. So there you go. And once again, we're, we're going back to a conceptual meaning. The name means something in itself. Not everybody has the firepower of advertising and so forth to create a silly sounding name and make it into a verb like Google did. Yeah, that's right. You're absolutely correct. Now, one element in a, and I'm not sure if I had to go through this, and I'd like to hear your experience on it when you talk about rebranding is the legal aspect, especially if your name is registered, your business is registered, the banks, uh, the lawyers, the accountants, uh, you know, all that issues financially, legally, and, and you, you mentioned you have offices around the world. How did you deal with the legal aspect of it? And was it too much of a headache or was it okay? Well, I'm not a legal expert by any means, so I'll give you a brief answer. Basically, it's like when you do a DBA in the United States, you're doing business as. So you could be uh, Robin, 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 Inc., DBA, I don't know, fireside localization, fireside chats. You see what I mean? So one thing okay. is your legal name for your bank account, your statutes, and another thing is you're doing business as name. So that wasn't a hassle for us, but we might not have all the I's dotted properly there yet. You've just got me thinking. So um, watch this space. Yeah, it, it's certainly to be considered, but it, it wasn't a hassle initially for us. Yeah, I remember like when we had to go through this, and the reason I asked is because we had to go through uh, changing the names in the, uh, you know, name registry in the government. So we had to notify them that operating as we have the same thing here in Canada as well. And so we had to do the same thing, file with the government the new name or operating as. And we also had to notify like banks and, you know, whoever else we deal with uh, of the name change, which, you know, it's not that difficult but it takes some time to get it done because once you start dealing with government things get to slow down a little bit so sure so um so you're having fun with the name it's a fresh look on things you're engaged in a lot of conversation which i love that point of view that you just made when you introduce something new to a business an image a service whatever it is it creates a buzz it creates a conversation 
And that conversation could be beneficial to on many levels in, in the case of you know, you give you a reason to talk to customers, uh, partners, freelancers, etc. So those conversations are very valuable. So can I ask, and, and maybe feel free to, we don't need number. I just want to know the impact on your business. Did you see an uptick in your business from this so far, or what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you engaging? Well, it's a, it's a great question. First of all, there were many conversations internally about how to manage this, and they continue to go on. It was also a great way to generate conversations with customers. Hey, you know, we've rebranded. What do you think? We involved customers, and we let them criticize. A little bit like the kind of, I mean, it's not a build-your-own-burger concept where every customer can give their opinion and will automatically change the the look according to what they say, but we certainly involved the customers and asked them for feedback. And uh, many of them had some very, very interesting ideas to share with us. And they caught out the occasional mistake. Um, and they was still finding things where, where in some case the brand, the new brand is not being used correctly. So having, it's generated a lot of conversations. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I mean, just put it this way. You have a customer you haven't talked to for six months and you call them up and you say, I want to sell you translations. That's not a very interesting conversation. But if you reach out and say, you know, it's been a while since we've talked, just wanted to let you know we rebranded. Here's our new image. Please let me know if you have any feedback, you know, a, a longer message, but that's a summary. That creates a different instance. You're throwing down the gauntlet and maybe they'll, They'll come back to you and say, great, uh, fresher, younger, crisper, newer, more modern image. Or maybe they'll say, yeah, um, but you need to improve in this area. And, and you can take it or not. You can take what they have to say or not. It's up to you. So it creates, it, well, it, sorry, it helps create, it can create a conversation. And when you have a customer's ear, there's nothing like that. I mean, People pay to have customers' ear. People advertise in paid medias to to force their message into customers' eyes and ears. So when you have a customer's ear um, for free, so to speak, uh, that is great. And it's important to have conversations with customers that are not about, you know, uh, I want to sell you a used car, you know, please buy. Yeah, There's got to be a lot of other things that yeah. you have to talk about with your customers. So that's been great. Um, the second part of your question was, if you see, if you've seen any uptick in your business from that. Oh yeah. Um, well, it's hard to say. Um, this is a, a unusual year for business. You know, the economy in North America seems to be going through some kind of fake recession. Hard to know. Europe, of course, uh, still conditioned to a certain degree by the ongoing war and stalemate thereof in, in Ukraine, Russia. So tricky times, but a lot of opportunities are still out there. And a lot of the drivers behind uh, translation demand, interpreting demand, localization demand, are pretty recession-proof, you know, like social services and immigration, globalization, and so forth. But yes, it is a tricky year, and, and people are holding their purse strings tight. 
So it's difficult to calculate. It's almost impossible to calculate. Okay, the rebranding created a a 6.2% increase in sales. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to venture any kind of comment in that regard. But I can tell you that uh, in 2023, according, sorry, 2022, according to Common Sense Advisory's report on the fastest growing translation interpreting and localization companies in the world, we were ranked, um, I believe, uh, in uh, 17th place and ahead of us worldwide. And ahead of us, there were four or five companies that grew by acquisition only. So if you if you were analyzing organic growth, uh, TBO was like the 13th fastest growing translation, interpreting, and localization company in the world in 2022. Now that has not been repeated so far in 2023. Growth has slowed down. Um, so that is not a surprise. I, I saw that coming. I could I could smell the 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 the, the handbrake being put on at the end of last year. It's like a double whammy of the economy and some kind of AI freak out um, that has just created a slight dent in our projections. So we're still a very, very healthy company. We are growing, just not at the way we used to. Now, I don't, I'm not able to tie the rebranding to a number. What I can say is that the rebranding is part of an ongoing collective effort by many people at TBO to continue to position us as a leading translation, interpreting, and localization company uh, experts that you call when you need assistance and service on a sustainable basis. So it's part of a wider effort. And I don't know if anyone can say the rebranding you know, made us this, this amount of money. Exactly. I mean, you could, you could come up with a conjecture, but um, we're certainly very pleased and uh, our customers are very pleased. And even those that have said, you know, oh, I like the old name. They like the new name too. Yeah. And you know, you, you bring a very good point. There's no way somebody can say, you know, because I rebranded, I increased my sale by X. Uh, this is uh, very difficult to say, but you've, creating the foundation of positive image, which leads to hopefully positive conversations, which in sales leads to more sales, hopefully. So, but that's quantifiable down the road, not immediate. And you would not, even down the road, you would probably think, um, you know, I closed this deal, not because of the new name, but I closed this deal because I have a good salesperson or something. Um, well, it's not that, that's a really way. good point. Who cares about the short term? Um, I, you know, I started out in this industry translating when I was at university, 20 years old, um, founded the company 18 years ago when I was 29. Wow. Long time ago, uh, 47 now. So, and I'm only halfway through. So, you know, I'm not a serial entrepreneur jumping from one company to the next, you know, touch and go. I work for nine months in one company, work some magic and then leave. And, you know, I'm not about that. I'm into the medium and long term, into sustainability. Um, right. I don't 
or I, sorry, I try not to freak out with the short term. I just, mm-hmm. I wish the short term didn't exist at all, but you know, wouldn't we all, uh, you do get sucked into the short term every now and then. So it's all about the right. long term wins, your mission, your vision, where you're going, where you've come from, putting things into perspective. I'm much more interested in the whole movie rather than the photo. That's right. And, and you bring a very valid point in the entire industry that we currently, uh, that we work with, 19,000 companies out there. Um, there are uh, many of them, which they are, have the sh- share the same vision, the same objective that you have, uh, Charles, is that I have that long-term vision. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm working for tomorrow. I'm not working for today. But basically, long-term goals versus short-term goals. And where we seen those short-term goals and I want to achieve things quickly is when a localization firm is owned by a private equity firm or some outside interest that forces that, you know, five-year thinking, if you will, versus the 10, 20 years down the road thinking. So um, this is why, you know, long-term vision or long-term objectives in our industry tend to achieve more, better results, more stability, uh, trust with their customers and their market versus that fluctuation, the ups and downs, when you're every uh, every period, be it five or six or whatever the numbers are, you're being either sold or moving moving away to somebody else because you're owned by a private equity firm. Yeah, I've never been in a company that's owned by a private equity, and I don't want to knock PE. Um, what I can say is that investments are for the long term. I don't know that anyone who invests in the, on the short term short term. Um, in a translation, localization, interpreting company. We have a very, very healthy industry uh, that has come a long way in terms of technology, uh, human capital, opportunities, public awareness. We've come a long way and we've got a long way to go. Uh, And there are so many different aspects of the industry, such as sign language, accessibility, accessibility, the industry and emerging markets, it just goes on. So I'm very excited to be here and I don't see myself going anywhere. And you have a young, you have a young family. You've got a, you know, you've got a long, um, long uh, future ahead of you in the, in the industry. It's not like you're looking to retire or anything. So at a prime, uh, uh, you know, prime business years of your life and God gives you hopefully many, many, many successful and healthy years ahead. So uh, uh, great to have that vision of yours. That's great. Uh, and I'm glad you shared it with me. That's great. The, the bring out a very good point. As we talked about, you know, the economic conditions and how these things are gelling in now with from a North American European point of view and the rest of the world is being impacted by those two large markets. Um, and so I know one of your services is the outsourcing and outtasking. And a lot of people are thinking, you know, if I'm working in a certain economy and I've got a certain level of expenses to manage those expenses, I got to find a new and clever way of doing it. And I know one of your services is to outsource various tasks, project management, et cetera. And um, that there are used, those functions that they're used by other companies. And, and, and would you mind talking a little bit about that particular service? Because that's a particular interest when the economy is not doing so well, people are trying to get creative 
in the way they are managing their cash flows, managing their companies, trying to save a little bit of money here and there. And I'm not necessarily speaking about localization firm. It could be an, you know, a translation department or localization department within a larger organization. Yeah, I mean, a difficult economy, a challenging economy is not the same as a bad economy. A bad economy is a recession. And a lot of young people don't really know what a bad economy is like because the economy hasn't been bad, bad for a long time. Bad is when people sleep in their cars uh, on a large scale. Um, so there was a, a, you know, a bump in around 2009, uh, 2001, but there's nothing, even those recessions were nothing like 1991. So we're in a, a buoyant period, uh, but it's not a rising tide that lifts, lifts all boats. Like maybe it was for a few years ago. Uh, during the pandemic, translation companies by and large did very well. Interpreting companies suffered. Now, there, now it's very difficult to make generalizations. There are a lot of challenges out there, and it all depends on your customer portfolio, your capacities, your degree of innovation, um, whether or not you're investing in technology, whether or not you're investing in people and so forth. See, these are challenging times. Um, and as they say, choppy waters make for good fishing. And definitely, definitely, it's not a time to do business as usual. It's not a time to do business as usual. Anyone who is doing business as usual is like the dinosaurs waiting for the comet to hit. You've got to be doing new things, got to be thinking ahead, planning, and so forth. So TBO, the T, doesn't just stand for translation. When we were translation back office, the T was translation. And now the T, uh, and it has been this, this way for several years, stands for translation, talent, testing, teams, and there you go, the T's. Uh, the two most important T's at this time are translation and talent. And they represent around about 45% of our business each. The other T's, testing and teams, add up to 10% uh, in total. So translation, we provide all sorts of translation services into, gosh, over 100 languages. African languages, Southeast Asian languages, North, East, North Asian languages, Eastern European languages, Western European languages, and so forth, Spanish, even Canadian French, to customers all over the world. And uh, about 60% of our business would be North America, about 30% uh, Europe and 10% Asia. And what is our fastest growing market? Asia, yeah, Asia. Very interesting yeah. for a company headquartered in Cordoba, Argentina, <clears throat> which is physically and mentally quite far away from Asia. So there you go. The other significant part of our business, the other T, talent, is uh, what you are referring to. So we have been providing talent services to other LSPs since we founded the company, uh, so 2005. 
we have customers that go way back to 2005. And what do we provide them? Well, we provide them fundamentally with project managers, customer services representatives, localization engineers, sales managers, accounting staff, full-time linguists. It's a long list. It's a long list, but we're talking about the human capital to get the job done and enable LSPs uh, in North America, uh, Europe, and Asia to focus on the tasks that they consider to be of the highest value, usually customer, enga customer engagement. This has a lot to do with the fact that there is full employment in most of these economies. It's very difficult to keep people, retain people, motivate people, and to pay people what they believe they deserve. Uh, and it also has to do with tight budgets uh, in the sense that the pandemic meant that on-site offices shrank. So, you know, if I could have someone remote for my company headquartered in Boston, and I could have someone remote out of Utah, why not have someone remote out of South America or Southeast Asia or, or Eastern Europe? That's basically the concept. So we've taken this talent concept to the next level, and we have provided over 500 uh, talents on an ongoing basis to our customers. And we've now begun reaching out beyond the boundaries of the translation space specifically. So what I mean is we've reached out beyond LSPs. We're still working in industries related to translation, um, but not only with LSPs at this point. So it's very exciting times and we see a very steady demand for our services. We're not a recruitment company per se. Uh, we provide talent on an ongoing basis. So our customers call us and say, you know, we need a localization engineer and a senior life sciences project manager to start uh, in two weeks. You know, can you help us? And uh, we say, of course you know, give us the job description and we'll start right away. And then we provide, there's an interview process, a selection process, vetting, testing, and so forth. And we provide the talents on an ongoing basis to our customers. So if there's a problem with the talents in, in terms of health or performance or availability, or circumstances of life, we can replace the talent at no cost to our customers. If our customers want to grow, we can add people if they want to shrink. Yes, our service is elastic, and it works amazingly well. Our talents are, uh, in the vast majority, very satisfied with the positions that they uh, have, and they feel very, very welcomed in the organizations that they are embedded in, and it has enabled our customers to energize their growth, to access a stable talent pool. Uh, it's really been a win-win for all involved. And I personally am deeply involved in this part of the business. I love talking to people about opportunities, about challenges, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly with their jobs and what they want to do, bit of career counseling. And I tell them, you know, long-term focus, long-term focus. And, uh, and there we go. So that's, that's the talent arm of TBO. So, you know, from a, uh, from a, uh, I'm just thinking, putting myself in the shoes of a, one of your customers and, you know, every customer, as you know, and you've been dealing with this over the years, you know more about it than I am. That is my question. I guess I'm looking for clarification. 
Now, when you uh, working with customers and they, each one of them has a specific situation, specific scenario, be it software to connect to, and that's mostly the uh, bigger problem. After we identify the talents and you've allocated those talents to this particular customer, now we need to either either this customer needs either this talent needs to work on a specific tools, specific software, uh, connect back to the remote company. How how do you manage that whole tech part? Well, it's very interesting. Um, first of all, we are not involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the talents that we provide. All of our talents sign very strict non-disclosure agreements, non-circumvention agreements, and confidentiality agreements with, with us and with the customers. So it's entirely the prerogative of the customer how they want the talents to work. They can work on a, a local computer here, or they can connect via a virtual connection to a computer that is in our customer's office or in the cloud. There are many different ways of doing it. Obviously, um, transparency and honesty are you know, core values when we provide talent services just as they are for the rest of the industry. Uh, the risks involved with using a talent um, provided by TBO Talent on the other side of the planet are the same as using a talent that's gonna work from home uh, 20 miles away from your office in New Jersey. Um, things can go wrong, but we do our very best both contractually and technology to ensure that they don't. And we have a very strong track record in finding uh, people who are committed and in it for the long term and have the right level of experience. The, the interview process is very thorough. So the technology is entirely up to the customer. And I actually couldn't tell you what technology solutions most of our talents use because that's not my prerogative to go looking under the hood. Um, I also don't know what languages they work on, who they work for, who they work with, what they charge, what they pay. That's all considered uh, confidential. But I do know for a fact that most of our clients prefer the talents to use some kind of virtual uh, solution like a VPN. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, in today's age, I don't think it's that big of a deal to ship a laptop to somebody and say, work on this particular laptop and connect via Wi-Fi from anywhere you are. So it's, you know, technology have enabled well, that. There's another point there. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, we work in globalization you know, we're dealing with Somali and Thai and Spanish and German and Canadian French. But, you know, we're not James Bond with an unlimited travel budget flying around the world, jet setting. I mean, yeah, I've been to 100 countries and I speak 12 languages and I'm, I have an intimate knowledge of two dozen cultures. I mean, that's not realistic. Anyone who works in this industry presumably really likes languages, likes travel, but reality check, you know, we don't live on a plane. So we, there's a lot of things we don't know. And uh, <laughs> one of the things is that uh, as frustrated as Mary, many Americans are with uh, the Postal Service, the Postal Service in the United States is actually amazing compared to what it is in other countries. Um, <laughs> you know, how people just like, you get a box from Amazon and it's on your doorstep and they delivered it while you were away. You don't do that in Turkey or Brazil 
or Colombia or Vietnam because a the box might not arrive b it won't be there if you weren't there to receive it you know it'll be stolen so uh it's not that simple to shim to simply ship a computer halfway around the world um so what one of the solutions that we provide is sourcing the hardware that the talents work on because we've, we've seen so many times when customers have tried to do it on their own and then they get the computer stuck in customs or the computer arrived broken or the computer went missing entirely, whatever. Uh, so one of the solutions we provide is part of the deal is to provide the talents with hardware um, because it's just not that easy to ship a computer around the world, I'm telling you. So, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is you're managing a, uh, although it sounds from the, you know, from the surface, yeah, you know, uh, you can hire a project manager who is, who works at TBO. It sounds like a lot more complex than that. And it sounds like that you guys deal with a lot of logistical issues that makes this uh, solution uh, worthwhile for somebody doing. Because if somebody, here's, you know, here's the, you know, the evaluation process from a customer perspective, either I do it on my own, which you described a lot of logistical difficulties that they may have to go through, or you get somebody like yourself, an expert that has been doing this for many years, since 2005, you mentioned, who knows the way around the system, who knows the way around their, you know, all these obstacles that you may have to go through and have a proven process already. Why would you do it yourself? And why would you even contemplate doing it, doing it yourself? This is a lot more complicated than one somebody wants to dedicate a department to and then hire HR people and hire, you know, logistical people to manage all this. So you put all this in place. So um, is there an appetite for this? I know you've been doing this. Obviously, there is people using your services. But from the sound of this conversation, it sounds like there's a lot more to be done here. Well, I put it this way. Um, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I love that. You don't know what you don't know. Um, but sometimes you do, you know, and you're like, I don't know anything about the construction industry. Um, I don't know anything about mortgages because I've never had a mortgage. Um, you know, you've got to be cognizant of what you're not, what are, what are your weak points are. Um, and um, the number one thing that hamstrings LSPs in North America and Western Europe is sales. If you can get sales right, everything else theoretically can fall into place or you can work hard to make it fall into place. But if you don't get sales right, there's no company. So what I suggest is that uh, LSPs focus as much as possible on getting sales right. And then they can work with companies like TBO to get operations right. And, you know, there's different models of operations out there. There's no right system or wrong system. For example, in Canada, many LSPs have in-house translation departments with linguists who work in-house, or at least they did until the pandemic. Maybe they're coming back now. Uh, whereas in the United States, it's very rare to have in-house linguists uh, these days. You know, so businesses evolve, margins change, services change. Uh, but, you know, that's part of the deal. It's it's an inherent, inherently changing business environment. Um, I think the loss of in-house positions 
is a problem. Um, there are fewer people studying translation and anything related to translation in almost every English speaking country. So fewer people are studying in an industry that already has a critical talent shortage. Right. Um, you know, why is this? Okay, I don't know. There could be many socioeconomic factors involved. When I studied at university in New Zealand in 1993, languages were hot. Uh, they were a hot topic. Um, people say, I want to travel. I love languages. And I'm not saying that people don't want to travel and they don't love languages anymore, but maybe the language industry is, has struggled to keep up with the play in terms of salaries, but above all, creating opportunities. Not everyone is meant to work remotely from their house, especially for younger people. You know, high flyers and very experienced people can wor work remotely really well because before they worked in-house. So he's like, well, you know, Maria would be a great remote worker because she worked in-house for 12 years with us. Let's hire her. And I know what she's like and I trust her. But, you know, would you hire someone who's 22 years old to work immediately remote? Yes, I guess you do. And people do. And that's what happens. But it's much harder unless there's some kind of natural highborn, um, natural um, high flyer, you know. And not all of us are high flyers. We, we, we thrive on the teamwork, on the social activities, on meeting people at the office, on making right. mistakes and having the person sitting, sitting next to us help us figure it out. So uh, I think that in Canada, there are still many in-house translation departments, but in the United States, that's, it's really declined. So TBO has a lot of people in-house and has creates virtual teams for its customers. And on these virtual teams, there's a lot of emphasis on training, on technology, uh, on ongoing opportunities. And I do believe that we provide some of the highest caliber of commitment and experience that is out there. Congratulations. This is uh, quite the progress since you started this company, you know, like every entrepreneur from zero and uh, look where you are right now. So kudos, hats off to you and to your effort and to your team as well. I mean, I'm sure you're surrounded by an excellent team around you that keeps you um, uh, going forward and making the, you know, the small things, achieving those small successes on a day-to-day -day basis, which accumulates to a larger success, which you are right now. So congratulations again. And I hope this uh, conversation that we're having today, it, 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 it produces something positive for you and your team. I'm sure the listeners and the interested parties who are uh, in the localization industry, even people from outside the localization industry, gives them those ideas that there is possibilities out there to more than one way. The, and then you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head when you said you cannot continue managing the same old, same old. You have to be creative. You have to get innovative in the way you manage. And if some of these legacy models, like you mentioned, the Canadian model and some other models, the same way, you still have your internal translation teams, you still have your own legacy way of managing things and the economic pressure, technology, things are changing in the industry that forces you to think differently. Maybe that's one of your uh, TBO maybe can offer you um, the uh, solution 
to be a little bit more innovative in how you allocate resources, finances, and manage better, manage better your company. And as you said, focus more on your market, on your customers. Well, I didn't mean to, to knock the translation industry in Canada by any means. I think it's great that, they, that there several companies, many companies in Canada still have a lot of in-house positions. It is all no, about not, creating it's value. Not a, it's not Sorry, a knock, you there. knock, Charles. It's just, yeah, it's, it's not a It's just, it is what it is, and it works for this market. But there's a lot of pressure on every market, from technology, from everywhere, uh, from oh, yeah. price. Um, yeah, things have to change. You cannot stay the same. Well, well, you know, I think that it's funny thing is that people think that they're under a lot of pressure in their job and, you know, uh, I'd love to change careers. I want to go down and start a, a blueberry farm in Patagonia and be out there in the mountains and fresh air. And then when you get a hailstorm that wipes out your blueberry farm, you'll be screaming at the clouds and wishing you lived in downtown Toronto or Buenos Aires or, or London or wherever and saying, why in, the, why in the world did I move to start a blueberry farm where I'm dependent on the weather, which is a factor I cannot control. You know, so a lot of people think that their job is stressful and you get all these news reports that your industry, your industry is going to die. You know, it's going to a very drastic message, you know. And, and I, I remember um, 15 years ago, Everyone was saying there will be no translators in 2020. You'll all be post editors, adapt or die. I mean, what garbage? What garbage? There are several industries, sorry, several languages, and barely even find post post editors because no one wants to do the post editors. There's more work than they need. Go and try and find someone who wants to be a Canadian French post editor. You know, uh, so there's a lot of doomsday talk. And, and, uh, and you know, I remember 15 the, years ago, they were saying that blood analysis was going to be a thing of the past because that uh, nutcase in Silicon Valley had invented an automatic way of doing blood analysis, and now she's in jail. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I lost you there for a second. So, I'm, what I'm just saying is there's challenges everywhere. Uh, what I was just saying is there's challenges everywhere and you just have to run with the ball. You know, you get lemons, you make lemonade. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Now, um, as we are uh, getting close to the hour here, I'd like to get your uh, input on Juntos and where are you guys? Last time we spoke, you were having some launch, I guess that was uh, almost uh, six months ago. And uh, now where you are, can you give us a little bit of an update on Juntos? Sure, well, Juntos is flourishing. Uh, we had our first Vamos Juntos event in Rio de Janeiro uh, back in March. It was, eventually, it was originally envisaged as an executive retreat, maybe 20 to 30 people. And we had 57 attendees, it was amazing, people from uh, 13 different countries, MemoQ, Multilingual, and Plunet came to the party as sponsors. It was amazing. Uh, very high rate of satisfaction about the speakers, the location in front of the beach in Rio de Janeiro. So it was great. And uh, we opened um, Juntos up for a paid membership. And uh, so that was in the end of March. And we now have 
uh, 30-something and counting members, which I think is amazing. We're not even six months into this association, really, and we've already got 30-something members. People sort of join about one new company a week, which is amazing. A lot of positivity. It's not easy to get an association off the ground. Took ALC and Elia and others a very, very long time. Even ATC is from like 1980 when I was five years old. And, you know, they've, they've come a long way, but it was started in 1980. So we're six months in and we're very excited. We're already organizing our next uh, Vamos Juntos conference, which is going to be in Lima, Peru. Uh, one of the world's best destinations for conferences. You have the Machu Picchu archaeological sites. You have the Amazon jungle and the amazing foodie scene in in um, Lima, which is where the conference is going to be held at the JW Marriott Hotel, which has amazing sea views, amazing food. So uh, really excited about that. And we're expecting the event to grow from the 57 people we had in Rio to hopefully maybe 85 or 100 people. Who knows? It's early days yet uh, for March 14 to 16 next year. We're actually looking for speakers. So when anyone hears this and say, oh, you know, I'd love to speak. I have something to say. I have a voice. Then just reach out. Yeah. And, you know, um, excellent to see uh, Juntos uh, growing and you guys putting good foundation in place. And I love the, uh, the explanation you gave earlier, Juntos meaning together. And uh, this is a indicative of bringing together all the, um, all the uh, you know, like-minded or, uh, you know, industry-related companies from various countries in their many, many countries in Latin America, bringing them together under one umbrella. Uh, this is very admirable. And the way, the way you're pushing this forward, I, I really like that. I wish I had the opportunity last year to attend, but Lima, Peru sounds nice, and I'm hoping that I can make this year. Sorry about not being able to attend the real one, so my, my miss, my, my it miss on that one. would be great to see you so there. We'll see what, we'll what happens with you. Uh, I, I, I'm planning on attending ALC. I'm hoping to see you at ALC in Portland, so. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm speaking at the ALC conference in Portland, Oregon, so that will be very exciting. Definitely see you there. Oh, you a drink. No, I'd uh, love to meet you finally after so many years of speaking on the phone and 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 on Zoom. Finally, we've got to get to see each other in person. That would be great. It's very exciting. So, Thank you. So before we uh, wrap up, um, is there anything else you like to share and communicate through this podcast today? Well, um, just a final point I'd like to reiterate is that um, negativity is not going to get us anywhere. Um, and all this doomsday talk about AI wiping us out is just like a reloaded version of machine translation wiping us out or computers wiping us out. You know, and uh, was it the 19th century, the 18th century when the Luddites set out to smash and break machines because they were going to take jobs away from workers uh, and here we are with a vastly superior standard of living worldwide uh, compared to 200 years ago. So I say, you know, don't fear the technology, embrace it, um, invest in it, um, become aware, use it, and certainly don't 
waste any time stewing over it. Um, you know, the angst. I mean, I get it. If you're like about to retire and, you know, it's like, oh my God, a curveball. Um, you know, I'm not ready for this. You know, maybe you're not. You know, I'm not a particularly techie person myself. I like the outdoors. But, you know, you can identify within your organization who is that closet nerd uh, who can be your ambassador uh, on this um, AI topic and, and, and other technology topics that will arise in the future. So that's my message. Keep it positive. This is a very healthy industry, very healthy positive people, a lot of amazing connections, uh, intriguing conversations, engaging discussions. Uh, I don't think the blueberry farm in, in Patagonia or Saskatchewan is going to be a better deal than working in localization, translation, and interpreting. Well, thanks. I really appreciate it. And I want to mention something I said yesterday. I read yesterday, sorry that uh, according to the latest data that came out yesterday, the amount of uh, uh, usage on generative AI has gone down. So um, people are starting to think, is this, another, is this another indication that one of those doom and gloom messages is going to also fade out as the rest of them have fade out, faded out over the years in the past? I agree with you. It's a very healthy environment to be in, very healthy industry to be in. Um, there's always new ideas and innovation that comes around, that comes along. Embracing it and taking a step back, studying it, and then jump in and see what you can do with this and creating opportunities for all of industry leaders. That would be, be a very good message. But never forget what got us here. And what got us here is the ability to connect demographics together and allow for content to be consumed regardless of who originating it and who's consuming that content. And we being the enabler, this industry being the enabler of that messaging to come across between English to various languages or various languages to English. It doesn't matter what the language combination is. This is what we do. That's our job. That's our mission in life is to make sure that people who have no access to content before in from other languages today, they do have access to those content in those languages. So, I want to thank you, uh, Charles, for being with me. It's always good to see you. And, uh, you know, hopefully I get to see you in person. Hopefully you come back to the channel one more time. Would love to have you here. And also I want to thank our audience. I want to thank our listeners. If you're joining us by YouTube um, uh, or by podcast, I uh, love having you with us. If you're not have done so already, would love to have you as a subscriber to this channel. Uh, again, this is an independent channel. It's not sponsored by anybody. It's my own personal initiative. Uh, wanted to make sure that this industry have a voice that is not influenced by anybody. And everybody is welcome on this channel. If you've got an idea, if you've got innovation, if you've got a philosophy you want to talk about, happy to have you with me. Happy to have this debate together. Thank you again, Charles. Thanks for being with me. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it.